0: in college, so this was uh, summer after my sophomore year at Gustavus, and um, 2001, I was uh, put on a, a staff, a site for YouthWorks, and uh, for those of you don't, that don't know what YouthWorks is, it's a short-term mission service trip uh, site-based, so gr- different groups throughout the summer will come and spend a week at uh, one of, you know, dozens and dozens of sites across the country and even, uh, North America. And so my job, uh, as program director was, uh, beyond, um, leading the Bible study times and, uh, planning the, the message times. So doing kind of what I'm doing right now, uh, was to line up some of our evening activities. And these were things like, uh, swimming at Rosebud Lake, outdoor meals, nature hikes, museums, historical educational visits, meetings with the tribal council, and uh, even throughout the summer we got to attend some powwows and uh, sit in on some local drum circles, which was super, super neat. Uh, and through each of these activities, we were hosted and educated by the different communities uh, of the tribe. And honestly, and I'm being completely honest with you here, during orientation and as we were heading out there, and even as we were setting up the site and preparing for these groups to join us throughout the summer, I was thinking in my head, kind of ashamedly, how in the world can we make meaningful connections with this group of people who are so different, who do things differently, who don't understand, who have a different culture, a different history than the one that I'm from. How can we make those meaningful connections in in that way? We're too different. It's just not gonna work. I'm there but I guess I was starting to doubt that these things that we were setting out to do were even possible. And so I want to plant a few thoughts in this fertile soil that we are this morning and see what the Spirit does with it. How do you maintain a connection with the past? Do you feel a strong sense of cultural pride? What are some of your favorite cultural traditions or practices? And how do you feel when you step outside the comforts of that culture? Among the first people that we met on the reservation was a woman named Gloria. Now, Gloria was a wonderfully insightful woman. She was uh, very outspoken and strong. And she made it very clear that while She was happy that we were there to serve and to learn, that she was also not going to take part in any of this Christian stuff that we were bringing to the reservation. You see, Gloria was descended from a long line of medicine men and women, and she wasn't going to have any of that white man's Christianity, the way she put it. Because for her, the idea of Christianity was a symbol of the colonial white man imposing their beliefs upon a people group, and she didn't want anything to do with it. So one day we climbed up on her roof, just like she asked us, and we put tar, a new, a fresh coat of tar on her mobile home so that she wouldn't get wet when it rained and bake in the hot South Dakota sun. This week, as I prepared to give today's message, I sat down with the scripture you heard read a few moments ago, and like many of you uh, may have thought to yourselves, I had this thought. What a strange and beautiful way to start a sentence. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. That right there, that has the beginnings of a great song. And I thought, I could write that song. It's beautiful. The -the over-the-top poetic language, the obvious affection that you feel that Paul has for this community. Or, maybe you had the second, almost immediate thought that I had, which was, huh? What the what? What are you talking about, Paul? Throw me a bone here. Right? I mean, you heard it. It, There's no resolution. All it does is raise questions. And it seems, maybe you had this feeling too, it seems like, We just got helicoptered in into the scripture and dropped off at altitude, blindfolded, and just were told to go. So in order to understand the scripture, I feel like we need to back up a little bit. Um, And part of the blessing, the blessed curse of the lectionary is that every three years we work our way through the Bible in kind of a roundabout way. And sometimes we get dropped into scriptures like this and we have no context. It doesn't really feel like it has a beginning and it doesn't necessarily have an end. So in order to understand what we're experiencing this morning, we have to go back. And so what I would like to do uh, is dig a little bit deeper with you. And one of the ways that uh, I'd like to do that is uh, with this overview. Pay attention, it starts quick and so dial in right away. Easy, right? You got all that. But we're covering a lot of ground. I get it. It's uh, you know, I said dial in quickly. Even then, let me just give you the let me just give you the bullet points. Uh, Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. It was a, a main trade route that uh, earlier in its lifetime, I suppose, was very prominent. The port closed off, people weren't trading as much, but it was still the center of kind of Greek and Roman worship. So there, I mean, this was an incredibly well-traveled, well-attended, diverse area. People from literally all over the known world would travel to to this area in order to worship. It's also uh, a place where Paul had traveled before. So Paul had established churches and was... So basically what, F, what this letter to the Ephesians is, is kind of like a reconnection with those churches that he had built, that had launched so long ago. He is also writing this from a Roman prison. So he is, he is writing these things while in jail, and not just, not just any jail, a Roman jail. This is a brutal, dark place. And if you want more details on all of this, check out Acts 19, because it kind of gives the story of how... How he ended up there. The biggest thing to remember is that Paul's writing this letter from a Roman prison. And he's there because of this next part that we're going to go into together. So, for what reason is Paul talking about in verse 14? Well, for that answer, we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 3. And then here we go. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind As it is, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, and this is the part, this is the key part. That is, these the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a big deal. This message that got Paul thrown into prison... This is it. He's writing the same thing from a windowless, dark, damp prison cell. I mean, this is not the Hilton. This Paul, who used to be called Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Jew of Jews, blameless under the law, a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. He's a fairly zealous guy. And he's actually responsible for the murders of the early followers of Jesus because that was his commission, was to kill these Jews who were claiming that Jesus was God. This guy who had grown up with such a deep sense of cultural pride, steeped in a tradition and history that clearly identified those who were in And those who were out, holy and unclean, chosen or forsaken. This same Paul is now running around saying, hey, these guys over here that we have done our very best to have nothing to do with, that we have tried to ignore, that we have used as the butt of our jokes, that we have pointed at and used as examples of how not to live, what not to do. They're now part of our family. And even worse, Paul is saying that God had intended this from the very beginning and didn't bother to tell his chosen people, the Jews. So they are feeling quite left out at this moment. The powerful Jews in Jerusalem aren't having any of this in the least. And so they decide that this message is too far-reaching and too inclusive and too threatening and too willy-nilly. It goes against everything that they hold dear. It's too much, Paul. You're done. And they manipulate and stir up the Roman authority in such a way that lands Paul right smack dab in the middle of his jail cell. And they hope that he's awaiting a very quick and painful Roman death. And it's at this point that this story should start to feel pretty familiar. Because it's the same approach that put Jesus on the cross, and we and we sit in this worship center this morning while the same fear and hatred. Of this good news is destroying families, pulling apart communities, sowing seeds of scarcity, and yes, you might even be caught in the throes of it right here and right now. But today, in the midst of this fear and hatred and apathy, Jesus is making a way, a way for reconciliation and wholeness and peace a way for you and me and our neighbor. Over the summer on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, through all of the connections I made with the residents, all the teaching they offered, through their encouragement, their openness, their willingness, all of the hostility, hostility, all the hostility I may have shown, all the hospitality they may have shown us and shown me, the ways in which they shared their lives with us, we were humbled. I was humbled. It remains one of my most formative and fun adventures that I've ever had. And Gloria and I developed a pretty close relationship um, over that summer as she still practiced her native spirituality and her offering of sacrifices and her praying to the four directions and her, her tradition. And we offered prayers for one another. But one day she came to us with a request for healing. You see... Some through some series of events, her mom had contracted gangrene. If you don't know much about that, don't look it up on the internet. <laughs> it might turn your stomach. Uh, it's basically your your body cells dying, skin dying, bone dying. And she had it in both legs, and had started in her ankles, and had moved up past her knees, and they didn't catch it otherwise they would have amputated at the knees and it was spreading to her hips and they weren't sure that they could if they amputated at the hips which is extremely difficult to do they could not have caught it it would have spread to her body it would basically have been a death sentence there's nothing that they could do on the reservation so we took a moment to pray with her At that time, and we kept her in our prayers thereafter, but I have to be honest with you. I had enough information. I knew what she was looking at. And so I was just basically praying for a painless and peaceful passing. I thought she was going to die. But I was also praying that Gloria wouldn't be too destroyed and lose faith after her courageous and desperate request for prayer. You know, that's a big leap, coming to us like that. And I knew that there was a hint of faith in that plea for healing. And I don't have time to go into all the crazy details, because I'm not preaching about signs and wonders. But she got better. Complete miracle, no explanation. They did not have a time where they could point out where that had happened in the past. Gangrene does not go away. But, that aside, Gloria knew what had happened. Trusting that there had to be something behind our claims of comfort for the oppressed, fulfillment for those in need, rest for the weary, a place at the table, a family, she reached out. In desperation, sure, but does that make it any less faithful? Does that make her any different than you or I when we go to God when we are desperate? We together, children of God, had just experienced life in Christ, and that is to say, and this is Paul's entire message to us today, the crumbling of the walls of division, crossing of cultural boundaries, restoration and reconciliation, the power of the Spirit. The kingdom of God was established in her life on that day in the most tangible of ways and we got to be a part of it. The beautiful treasure of this little piece of scripture buried in the middle of Ephesians in the New Testament is that through Christ we can remove the word Gentile and replace it with any exclusionary category that we might have in our vocabulary and it's no less true for us today. Try this. Traditionalists have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, or modernists. (laughs) City slickers, country bumpkins, have become fellow heirs. Champlin Park or Park Center. Have become fellow heirs. I know that's a touchy subject for some of you. Right wing. Or leftist. Have become fellow heirs. Trumpeteers. Or feel the burnies Have become fellow heirs. Black lives matter. Or blue lives matter. Have become fellow heirs. Of the kingdom of God. Ford Chevy or Dodge lovers have become fellow heirs. Even fans of the Bachelorette, even them, have become fellow heirs of this good news. Last Sunday, we heard in Ephesians 2 during Ask the Pastors that in Christ's life and death, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken we have been brought together we have been made into one humanity and have peace with God and also each other so that we are no longer strangers and aliens but citizens with the Saints and also members of the household of God this is good news today we hear it yet again In case we need a reminder, and we do. To put it another way, the wedges that we drive between us and others, the walls we build in order to keep our people in and those other people out, have been utterly obliterated. They cannot stand where the power of the Spirit of God is at work. And here's the only thing that matters now, the only solid ground, this grace on which we stand. We have been scripted into God's story, grafted into the family of God, as we're about to witness in Charlotte's baptism. And she's sleeping. That is awesome. God dwells in us and us with God. This is our one firm and everlasting foundation. The same powerful spirit of God that was present in the members of that Ephesian church nearly 2,000 years ago, drawing together people from wildly different cultural backgrounds. I mean, you could hardly imagine a more diverse group of people gathered together, living in Christ-centered community, The power of that spirit, that very same spirit of God, is the same unstoppable force that is at work in us here this morning. And she will not stop until we have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And thank God for that. Amen.